Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to glorious episode number five of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sam Roberts, and if you think you've heard it all, if you think that these shows could not get bigger, boy, oh boy. Episode 5 is going to be even bigger. Of course, last week on Episode 4, we had Seth Rollins. This episode is one bigger because it's Episode 5. So much to talk about, of course. Uh, Monday Night Raw this week. There's a lot to talk about there. I want to talk about Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose and what's going on between those two gentlemen. I want to read some of the questions that you guys sent in via Twitter so I could send out some of these uh, autographed cards from Hulk Hogan that 2K Games sent over. I want to talk about wrestling outside of WWE a little bit today. But first, first and foremost, it's Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this on time in a timely manner, if you're listening to this the week that it was published, happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you're spending it with the ones that you love. Uh, It was WWE's Thanksgiving week, I guess this week, the Thanksgiving tradition, Survivor Series, happened over the weekend. And I know normally, we don't really start with a monologue, but I'm trying to think. There was anything, I said I want to talk about Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt later on. Was there anything that happened at Survivor Series that I should hit on first? I like the Divas match, the the the, the uh, Bella versus AJ match. I like, I like, I like. That Nikki's the women's champion. Was that what I wanted to start with? Nikki is the Divas champion. Oh! Sting makes his debut for WWE. Sting. The man they call Sting. This is a huge deal. In 2014, Sting makes his debut with WWE. I mean... You know, I can't say I thought it would never happen, but I thought there was a good chance that it could never happen. In this day and age, you can't say never about anybody anymore. WWE is the only game in town. They've set up deals with some of these guys where they can come in and they don't have to do a full run. They can come in and work one match. They can sign a merchandising deal, whatever it is. There is nobody who's capable of speaking that you can say will never sign a WWE contract in any way, shape, or form. But I thought at this point that there was a good chance that we simply would not see Sting in a WWE ring ever. Now, Sting, of course, was a top good guy for WCW. I wouldn't say the NWA days. You know, Sting was definitely there towards the end of NWA transitioning into WCW. Top good guy in NWA history is probably Dusty Rhodes. But... Once it transitioned over to WCW, and that was the organization, Sting is without a doubt the number one good guy to ever come out of WCW. That includes anybody. Put him on the list. Goldberg, DDP, pre-NWO, WCW run, Hulk Hogan, any of them, Sting is the number one good guy to come out of WCW. And the only person, mind you, on that list that has never been in a WWE ring. This is a guy whose finest match, I wouldn't say finest match, but the match that made him, that cemented him as a main event dude for WCW, 
I would think would be Clash of the Champions 1. When he wrestled Ric Flair to a time limit draw, they went 45 minutes. They went to a 45-minute Broadway, as it has been called. Um, And it cemented Sting's legacy as the number one good guy in that company. And, and, And Sting and Ric Flair went on for years to have great matches. If you recall, the last match, the main event to the last episode of Nitro was Sting versus Ric Flair. It was poetic, if nothing else. Um, But Ric Flair not only has been in a WWE ring since then, retired in a WWE ring, and took a break, as everybody almost, almost everybody did, in 92 and 91... To come over to WWE for a little while. He even worked a couple weeks in 93. Did Ric Flair. Sting, on the other hand, never entered the WWE. And I don't think there was ever any question in anybody's mind if Sting would work in WWE. There were lots of guys in WCW that didn't work in WWE the way they worked in WCW. I would say, arguably, you could say Ric Flair did not command what he commanded in WCW during his first run in WWE. I mean, I think that his final WWE run, Ric Flair was, you know, it, it was among the best runs that anybody's ever had. That whole deal of one last match, you know, the minute you lose, you will no longer be able to wrestle ever again. And that whole, every match that he had on that streak was a good match. Um, I think Ric Flair's post-WCW work in WWE is uh, amazing. But as great as he was in from 91 to very beginning of 93 in WWE, you know, he had the great uh, uh, Loser Leaves Town match with Mr. Perfect to end the thing. He had matches with Bret Hart. He won what is inarguably, as far as I'm concerned, not arguably, but inarguably the best Royal Rumble match of all time, the 92 Royal Rumble. You beat the 92 Royal Rumble. I challenge you. Somebody tweet me at Not Sam with a Royal Rumble that's better than the 92 Royal Rumble. He had great matches with Macho Man. He had, he had tons of great matches, but it wasn't what his WCW career was. It was just a different era. It was a different thing. WCW and WWE were putting on two different products, but there was never any doubt in anyone's mind that Sting would be a huge star in WWE, whether it was uh, uh, when he was a, a surfer and he was, and he looked a little like you know a, a, a hyper California flat top version of the Ultimate Warrior. Whether it was when he was in the Crow, and he was walking up and down the rafters for a year. Whether it was when he was in the Wolf Pack and he was wearing the red and black, he still, he still would have been a big star in WWE, and he just never, he never came over. He spent time in TNA. He never entered WWE. He's the only person to have never ever done this. And he's finally here. I mean, you think about this. He hit the match that made him was at Clash of the Champions number one, the first Clash of the Champions. I'll bet you, the average wrestling fan in 2014, the average person in attendance at a WWE Raw probably doesn't even remember what Clash of the Champions is. Maybe he's never heard of it. That's how long it's been. And Sting's been active most of this time. You know, he's taken a year off here, a year off there, but he's been wrestling and never stepped foot in a WWE ring. This couldn't be a bigger deal. People assumed this was coming at some point. I mean, Sting, to me, 
is the only long-term success story to come out of WCW. He had his dips, but he, I believe, is the only character created in WCW to have real long-term success. Now, I know Goldberg was a big success, but everybody talks about uh, uh, Austin McMahon and how that was the maybe the greatest feud in the history of wrestling and I bet it, I think it was you know start to finish I think Austin McMahon is the greatest rivalry in the history of pro wrestling but if you want to talk about a build up to a single match if you want to talk about getting people to care about one match don't consider the match the build up to the match I would be hard it would be hard to convince me that the buildup to Hulk Hogan versus Sting at Starcade 97 could be beat. I don't think there's any buildup that's been better than that. Sting didn't wrestle a single match for what was it, 14 months or something like that? He decided in the fall of 96. That uh, his comrades in WCW did not trust that he wouldn't join the NWO. So he went and he pouted. And you'd say, how could a hero pout? Well, he made it work. He painted himself up like Brandon Lee. And he jumped up into the, bar- up into the, in the, into the scaffolding systems and hung out in the top of the building. And it was just such a wonderfully slow burn. You know, he, first he disappeared. And then one day, he popped up, and he was at the top of the arena. And he was just standing there, and he didn't do a thing. A couple weeks go by, he's still there. He's just standing there. He's not doing a thing. Then one day, he's got a crow. He's got a crow with him. I don't know what that is, except he looks like the guy from the crow movie. But still, it adds to it. It's been weeks of this now. It it took weeks to build the crow. And then weeks go by, and all of a sudden, he points a black baseball bat at Hulk Hogan. Weeks have months have gone by now, and all we've gotten is that baseball bat being pointed at Hulk Hogan. Now, in the meantime, Hulk Hogan is going through everybody WCW has to offer. The NWO is destroying the WCW roster up in the stands. Sting watches on. Eventually, he starts coming down from the ceiling. He starts breaking things up. He never wrestles a match, but he's always there. To save WCW, he's the one man that the NWO could not dispose of. Now, look, was it all's well that ends well, right? And they screwed that thing up royally. By the end of it, it it was a complete waste. Uh, The match went south. The finish didn't make any sense. And and, and after that, it just – the whole thing went to garbage. But – you just look up, look at the buildup, and it was the best story that WCW ever told. By far. By far. The Sting-Hogan story leading to the match, not the end, was the best story WCW's ever told. It's like a brilliant movie. Or I, I guess it would be like a book. If I ever read a book, I'm sure it w- you, could, you could make this like a book too. But I don't know how to read. I watch movies. It's like a brilliant movie that just falls apart at the very end. 
don't worry about the very end. This was WCW's greatest story they ever told. Sting versus Hogan. And still, Sting never stepped foot in a WWE ring. He didn't have a WWE t-shirt. He didn't have any WWE action figures. Nothing. Nothing. He wasn't in the Hall of Fame. You know, he was put on DVDs because WWE owned his matches when they bought WCW's tape library, but that was it. That was it. Now, a couple of months ago, Sting signs this uh, merchandising deal with WWE, and it allows them to use his likeness and, and, and to finally get a T-shirt out there and to get an action figure out there and to put a Best of Sting DVD out there to start using him. They used him uh, as, as a talking head as a, to interview uh, for the Ultimate Warrior special that they put together on the network. And that's when things start going, whoa, what is going on here? Then he's announced as an unlockable character in WWE 2K15. And you're going, oh my God, this is real. That Sting, Sting is in the game. I thought this day would never come, but he's in the game. So, at this point, you have to know. And people, by the way, for years, for years, I mean, WCW closed what? More than 10 years ago, WCW shut its doors. Even when he was in WCW, people talked about him jumping ship. But for the last 10 years plus, close to 15 at this point, People have been talking about when Sting was going to show up. They've been talking about a Sting versus Undertaker match at WrestleMania. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, he signs this merchandising deal, and he shows up at Comic-Con in paint and everything to announce he's in the video game and to announce his new action figure. And I mean, and it's unbelievable, right? People can't believe it. Um, I want to take this moment to share with you an interview that I did with Sting. Uh, This August, SummerSlam, it was only a couple months ago, I was out in Los Angeles, courtesy of the WWE and 2K15, and I was covering a lot of events. Uh, Sting was a part of the WWE 2K15 roster reveal, and some very important people, that's what VIP stands for, like yours truly, after the event was over, got to go back and talk, and this panel was incredible. It had, this was the panel. If I can even remember correctly, it had current guys, it had Sheamus and Cesaro, it had John Cena, it had Hulk Hogan, it had Sting, it had Stone Cold Steve Austin. All six of these guys on one stage. And then, believe it or not, I get to go into a room. And this is like what people don't realize, okay? I've been a fan of WWE since I was born. For 30 years, I've been a fan of WWE. And that's what I don't want lost on anybody. That's the only reason that I interview wrestlers. That's the only reason why I have this podcast. That's why I don't sit here on this podcast and complain about the product like most of the other podcasts you hear. Because I'm still a fan. Because I've been a fan for 30 years. And if I didn't like it, if I watched Raw and it made me feel bad and it gave me something to complain about, I would stop watching it because I don't need that in my life. I don't need things in my life that upset me. You know what upsets me? Life. Like there's enough, there's enough things in life that are upsetting that I don't have any control over. Okay? 
You got Ferguson, they're tearing down the city, and I can't turn on the news without watching a city being destroyed because of an impending race war. And there's not enough in my life that I need wrestling to, to, make, me, to, to, to make me upset? No. No. I watch wrestling because I don't want to feel upset. I watch wrestling because I want a, a release from all this stuff that's going on in the world. I want an escape. I want to be entertained. I want to have fun. Wrestling is fun. And I don't want it lost on anybody who's listening to this. For me to go into a room, and I've interviewed everybody. You've seen my YouTube channel, YouTube slash Not Sam, already. This is the fifth episode of the podcast. And I've already talked to Chris Jericho and Seth Rollins, and, and, and I've got more coming. But not a moment goes by when opportunities like this happen that I don't stop to tell myself, if you were 14 years old right now, you would have changed your pants three times already. If you could go and talk to yourself at 14, your 14-year-old self would think you were the coolest dude in the world. Okay, and that's what I'm thinking. As I walk into this room, after the panel's over, I walk into a room, and I'm sharing the room with Seamus and Cesaro and John Cena and Hulk Hogan and Sting and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And there is a man there that says, Sam, would you like to talk to any of these people? And I look at him like, what? Like, what is this world? What is this world that I'm living in? So I don't want for a second for anybody to ever get the impression that this, any of this is lost on me. That I don't sit there realizing, like, look at what is happening. Because it happens every day. Okay? And it's the type of thing that I think everybody should do. In, in everybody's life, I hope that you've achieved something. That makes you realize, like, oh my God, I can't believe this is what life is. My my fourteen year old self would think I'm the man right now. And whenever that happens, don't let that get lost, because that's what life is all about, as far as I'm concerned. But I get to go into this room and talk to all these people, and I thought it would be uh, a fitting time to replay my interview with Sting. Um, so here it is. This is from uh, earlier. This is from this summer. This is from August. It was from uh, a, a day or two before SummerSlam. I got to go into a room and uh, talk to Sting. This was only Sting's second event. He showed up at SummerSlam, I mean at, uh, at, at Comic-Con a month before this to pitch the action figure. And then in his second appearance at a WWE-sanctioned event, he showed up at the WWE 2K15 roster reveal in August to announce his inclusion in the video game. Uh, and I got to do an interview with him. Here it is, yours truly, and Sting. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Here we are at the WWE 2K15 panel for the first time ever, mind you, with the man they call Sting. Sting, what's the haps? This is my debut. Yeah. This is, this is a good thing. I'm, you mean I'm your debut with me, right? Well, you got to sign on the dotted line first, <laughs> man. <laughs> what is it like? Is there any... You always hear wrestlers... No matter how big they are that go away for a while, when they come back, they're scared that the audience won't remember them. Is it you, you talked on the panel about absolutely wanting to do a match for WWE, at least a match. Is there anything in your brain or heart that goes, 
I hope the WWE audience remembers Sting since you were never here. Based on what happened at Comic-Con a few weeks ago yeah. with the WWE fans and what happened here today on this panel, SummerSlam panel uh, for 2K15, um, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of issue. You know, yeah. it, it's, it seems like they all know, they're all aware, they're all excited. Uh, just this this game alone, 2K15, and what has happened. Yeah. I mean, the video that was made was was outstanding. Did you watch the episode of Raw where they premiered the video? Did you hear the reaction? I couldn't watch it um, at the time because I was I was flying, but I did hear about the reaction. Yeah. I, believe me, I heard about it. I heard about <laughs> it from so many people from all over the place, especially here from WWE. Now, you've, but you asked you you answered 100 times this morning. The Undertaker is the guy you'd like to wrestle. My question is, after The Undertaker's WrestleMania streak was broken this year, did that at all play into your mind like, ah, that kind of diminishes my match? Uh, no, it doesn't diminish things. I mean, I, I, did, I did have a moment of, ah, uh, it's over. You yeah. know, I can't. I'll never be able to get in the ring with uh, Taker. Yeah. But because he lost doesn't mean that he's done or leaving. You know, I can't imagine Taker leaving or being done. I, I just cannot imagine that. I don't know what's going on with him for sure, but um, man, you know, I I think Taker versus Sting doesn't need a streak storyline. Right. We just need Taker and Sting, and that's and it. And it's the match that people have been waiting for that's, for years. That's what I believe. Yeah. Is there any part of you? Are there guys on the current roster, not guys that have been around forever? Are the guys like John Cena, even the newer guys like Roman Reigns? Are there guys that you'd like? to get in the ring with, or are you kind of saying, you know what, I got one left in me, this is the one that didn't happen, and that's what I'm here to do? You know, I, I, I think a guy from you know my generation, it only makes sense, not just to me, but I think to wrestling fans too, to see some, me wrestle somebody from my own generation. Right. I mean, somebody that I've never wrestled, most important. Yeah. But secondly, from my generation, and I think that that would be... Uh, first choice, even for wrestling fans, yeah. to be quite honest. What was the feeling? The last episode of Nitro, which you brought up today when you were talking about Ric Flair, what was the feeling going on in your head when you knew that this was your last match in WCW, this is this is it? Uh, it, it was uh, surreal. Yeah. You know, I always use that term, and, and that's exactly what it was, because you're a second-class citizen for a lot of years, you launch a big show called Monday Nitro. You become, the, uh, you know, a first-class citizen, and then slowly but surely the sink, the, the ship starts to sink, and you're being bought out, and it's over. And it was almost like the enemy was coming in to, right. you know, take the women and children hostage <laughs> and you know torture all of us. You know, <laughs> that's what it felt like. So it was surreal. And was there never a thought at that point where you like, well, you know, this means I'm just going to take some time off, or? Was it just you couldn't come to terms with WWE? Um, I had a, a contract for 18 more months at that point that was not assumable by anything other than another Ted Turner entity. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess Vince would have had the choice to, you know, buy it out. Pay me, you know, X amount of millions of dollars or whatever, you know, to get me to. Yeah, he could have done that, but. He's not likely to. It, it, it didn't happen. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe he was just waiting to see if I'd you know, come around. And we did talk. We did talk at one point after all of that when the contract was completely over with. And I was very, very close. 
that just didn't happen. Last question, and this is something I've been curious about for a long time. The build-up between you and Hollywood Hogan was one of the best build-ups to a match in wrestling history. How do you feel about the way it, it finished in that match? The Starcade match, obviously. Yeah, well, you know what? The, when the build-up is as good as it was, yeah. you, you have to definitely deliver. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, that, that was a sign of things to come. You know, kind of what, what was going on, because uh, suddenly... The, the unity that we had, you know, all around, you know, kind of kind of started to go by the wayside, and there were sudden problems, you know, with lots of different people, you know, and uh, so, man, you know, it was, it was kind of a it was a rough day that day, you know, kind of an unknown for everybody. Yeah. What yeah. makes the most sense? What are we going to do here? We need, are we, do we need to change it? What are, you know, oh. it's like, you know what? We, you're we, like, we built this up for a year, and yeah. today we're deciding this? Right, yeah. So it was all, all a, lot of, a lot of last-minute stuff, yeah. and then some of the timing got messed up on some of the finished stuff and all that. So yeah. I was a little uh, frustrated with, with the, the ultimate delivery, you know. Right. I wanted to be able to deliver what the build-up built. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I finally got the chance to talk to you, and hopefully we'll get to do this again. Yeah. And congrats on 2K15. Thank you. Good to be a part of it. Here is Sam Roberts. And by the way, everything that I said before I aired the interview about, you know, pinching yourself and reminding yourself, like, what would your 14-year-old self think of you right now? All of that. Every time I put out a podcast and Howard Finkel is doing the voiceover and saying, here is Sam Roberts, yeah, that's what that is. That's exactly what that is. That's me at eight years old watching WrestleMania 8, seeing Reba McIntyre for the first time, figuring out that Indianapolis is a city, and listening to Howard Finkel announce these guys come to the ring. That's exactly what that moment is every time I put the podcast on. Now, enough Enough of this uh, 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 silliness. Enough of this feel-good nonsense. Let's get back to brass tacks and business at hand. You heard Sting. I mean, that's something. And I talked about the Starcade, the the Hulk Hogan-Sting build. Um, That's something that I've always wondered about. That was my favorite thing to talk to Sting about, was the fact that, uh, you know, at the end of the Hulk Hogan-Sting war, when this match finally happened, the finish got all screwy. And it kind of it just blew up. It, 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 it almost made it so historically, I feel like people forget how amazing the build to that match was. But, I mean, the build to that match was the stuff of legends. It was just incredible. Um, an important thing about this interview, though, is, of course, this happened after WrestleMania. It happened at SummerSlam. Undertaker had already lost his streak. Now, if you heard Sting during the interview I just had with him... If you heard, uh, if you watch the WWE Network, you can see the roster reveal panel uh, from where I interviewed Sting. You can see the panel and you can see them all on stage and you can hear Sting. And when it gets to the Q&A session before he went and did interviews, he was talking about wanting a match with The Undertaker. And I mean, he took many questions on it. And he was insistent that the match that he wanted was with The Undertaker. People have talked about other matches. They said, what about a Sting versus Bray Wyatt match? What about Sting versus John Cena? What about, uh, uh, you know, Sting versus Dean Ambrose? I don't know. There's so many good matches to have. Sting, and you heard it in the interview, he says it, it doesn't make sense to him to wrestle somebody who's not from his era. He's not coming back to try to re-enter the fold. 
Okay, he's not coming back to be an active roster superstar. He's not coming back to win the title one more time. You know, he's not coming back to have a series of dream matches. He's coming back for what is probably one, maybe two matches, and that's it. Um, a lot of people have talked about, you know, doing a match or two that leads to him going into the WWE Hall of Fame. I think that's a great idea. I think there's no doubt that Sting should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, but I don't think Sting necessarily, if Sting was not in the shape to wrestle or he just didn't want to wrestle a match, I don't think Sting necessarily needs to compete in a WWE ring to be a WWE Hall of Famer. You know, I I just don't, I, I don't think it's necessary anymore. I think the WWE brand, you turn on the WWE Network and you can watch Monday Nitro. You turn on the WWE Network and you can watch ECW November to remember. You turn on WWE Network, you can watch World Class Championship Wrestling. You know, WWE as a brand does not represent Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. WWE as a brand at this point represents all wrestling created, say, before TNA exists. For the most part, all wrestling, you know, 2005 and before, is under the WWE banner, for the most part. So I think I think anybody, whether you wrestled in a WWE ring or not, is eligible for the Hall of Fame. It's like, you know, it's like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did LL Cool J ever sing a rock song? No, he's a rapper, but... You know, rock and roll is meant to mean popular music pretty much. It's, it's, it's about the culture. It's, a, it's youth music. So you put him in the Hall of Fame. I don't have any problem with Sting going into the Hall of Fame right now. I don't think he needs to wrestle a match. Do I want to see him wrestle a match? Yeah. So after all this, and you know, the question came up. Undertaker loses to Brock Lesnar. Is a Sting-Undertaker match still as compelling? And I've been thinking about this a lot. I'll talk about what happened at Survivor Series in a minute. I think a Sting-Undertaker match at WrestleMania is even more compelling with The Undertaker not having the streak. Here's why. A lot of people, you, you must be at home scratching your head. Let me rewind that. Let me push the back 30 seconds button on my iPhone. Did he just say more compelling without the streak? Sam, you must have gone and lost your mind. No. No, here's why I think that without the streak, the Undertaker-Sting match is even more uh, uh, compelling. If the Undertaker streak is intact, there's no way Sting beats it, okay? Sting does not show up in WWE to wrestle one match and in that one match beat the streak. Say the Undertaker is 25-0. and 0. Do you want him to be 25-1 and one, and the one goes to the only match that Sting ever wrestled in WWE? Or one of the two? If that, no. If the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak is intact, there is no way that Sting wins a match against the Undertaker. But, let's say you lead into WrestleMania this year, and you find out you're going to do a Sting-Undertaker match. Now you look at that and you go... Well, regardless, it'll probably be Sting's last match. I don't think he'll wrestle again after he wrestles The Undertaker at WrestleMania, right? Right. But for the last few years at WrestleMania, the question has been whether it would be The Undertaker's 
last match. We don't know if he's even going to be back for WrestleMania this year. We don't know if his loss to Brock Lesnar was the last match The Undertaker will ever compete in. It could be. We haven't been told otherwise. You know, he got beaten up pretty bad. He wrestled one match last year, or this year. He Undertaker wrestled one match in 2014, and it sent him to the hospital. Okay, The Undertaker holds nothing back, and he's given a lot for a lot of years. This is not The Undertaker of old. Okay, this is somebody who has given everything he has to give. So will The Undertaker wrestle another match? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. If he comes back to wrestle Sting, there's a huge possibility that that's the last time he ever competes in in the squared circle. So you're now left with a scenario where The Undertaker and Sting are at WrestleMania, both theoretically wrestling for the last time, and the streak is not in play, meaning if The Undertaker loses, nothing gets blemished in his career. And if Sting loses, well, you know, he wrestled one, he lost one. So without the streak, we don't know who wins the match. Without the streak, you're sitting there watching The Undertaker and Sting, and you really believe this could go either way. With with the streak intact, I don't think anybody is watching that believing that Sting is going to beat the streak. Now, to be fair, I don't think anybody was watching Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker thinking the streak was going to be broken, and it was. But... I don't think anybody watches The Undertaker versus Sting thinking, okay, Sting might beat the streak here. They know, you know he's not going to. If the streak's not in play, could he beat The Undertaker? He just might. That's a possibility. I don't know where they're going with this thing. You know, once the streak is off the table, all bets are off. But I don't even know that he is going to wrestle The Undertaker because Sting finally made his debut for WWE in, in the ring, not at a press event, but in the ring. At Survivor Series. Some people leading up to this thought the WWE was wasting Sting's debut. I heard that criticism. Some people thought the fact that he was in the commercial for the video game, the fact that he was at Comic-Con, the fact that he was doing press with the likes of yours truly in August, doing these events, the fact that he was on the Ultimate Warrior documentary, doing stuff like that they thought wasted him. Because his first appearance should be, you know, in the ring and it should be the real debut of Sting. I couldn't disagree more. I think that's silly. And I think anybody that thought that after the Survivor Series would have to say they were wrong. Because it's 2014. Everybody knows what's going on now. If, if Sting has signed a merchandising deal, everybody knows it. So him going out there and doing publicity for a video game, uh, you know, uh, doing publicity because an action figure is being made of him, it doesn't spoil the surprise of the impact that he's going to make once he steps foot in a WWE ring. Unless you have somehow completely hidden the fact. If Sting coming out and being associated at all with WWE is a complete surprise, then yeah, sure, keep him hidden. But if you're starting with a merchandising deal and people know that that's even in play, then there's, no, there's nothing to keep hidden anymore. Let the merchandising deals happen. Let the PR stuff happen. And still build to a special moment when he makes his debut in a ring. In the ring. And, and Survivor Series was a very special moment. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think that any of the press that he did, I don't think him doing a Sam Roberts interview, 
I don't think that uh, uh, him being in a video game, I don't think him being on a commercial, none of that took away from the moment that we had at Survivor Series. Now, I was watching Survivor Series, and I thought it was an okay pay-per-view before the main event. Um, I thought the Bray Wyatt-Dean Ambrose match was good, had the potential to be better. Uh, you know, I, I I feel like a lot of the Dean Ambrose matches as of late feel like they're always building to the next thing and building to the next thing and building to the next thing. Like, I, I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm super hungry for some kind of payoff. You know, I don't think he ever quite got his revenge against Seth Rollins, and now he's got Bray Wyatt, and we still don't have a concrete winner, no pun intended, concrete bricks, you remember. Um, but, and, you know, in the... Once he started using a chair, I said, uh, are a T and an L coming after that C? Man, they were, and, you know, and it leads to a big TLC match. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm okay with it because I think the TLC match between these two guys is going to be absolutely incredible. Uh, but I would have liked a little more something to bite my teeth into with the Survivor Series match. Um, again, I thought everything was just kind of okay. And, you know, I found myself just kind of sitting there and I was— actually Googling the Giants score. Like, for the first time that I can remember, I was caring about what was going on 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 football. Sports was on my mind when there was something with sports entertainment happening. And I was was just feeling very meh. You know what I mean? I loved the uh, Nikki Bella-AJ thing. I loved loved that the championship was put on Nikki Bella, and I loved the way they did it. I thought that was fabulous. Um, But still, I was like, you know, that was a fun moment, and I enjoyed that. But other than that, it was very meh. Um, then the main event happened. Mark Henry going out the way Mark Henry went out. I thought that was great. Uh, I thought the big show turn was cool. You know, it definitely added to the match. I, I can't say that, uh, whatever goes on with the big shows, especially at Survivor Series, it wasn't the most exciting thing to me because it didn't make me, like, at that moment, I said, I don't know if I'm super pumped about a big show John Cena match. You know, I, I, I like the big show. I think he's great, but... Ah, uh, you know, um, he's been around for a while. I feel like I've I've seen him a lot. It doesn't feel that fresh. That's all. Um, but I like John Cena getting eliminated. I thought that really added a lot. Uh, Big Show walking out. I mean, the fact that they took the time to make Dolph Ziggler look strong. I thought that was fantastic. Loved that. Um, and yeah, you know, him being the sole survivor and 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 eliminating guy after guy, and so it's just him and Seth Rollins one on one, and they 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 the drama got very heightened, and I found myself very, very upset. I'm 31 years old, and I was very upset that Triple H kept interfering with the referees that were trying to count the one, two, three. And as I was sitting there and going, what is his problem? I said, he doesn't have a problem. I'm feeling exactly the way I'm supposed to be feeling because this story is being told right. And it was being told right. And the sting moment that came in to stop Triple H in his cheating ways, it's perfect. The music hits. And I was expecting Randy Orton to come out. You know, of course I'd read the spoilers. Uh, spoilers went out, I don't know, Friday, Saturday-ish. That said, you know, Sting will be at Survivor Series, WWE planning on using Sting at Survivor Series. Now, I think there's a good chance that the WWE themselves leaked that information. They were doing a, a, they've been doing a free preview month for the WWE Network. And getting eyes on this pay-per-view, it was very important. And they wanted to get eyes on the pay-per-view that would want to stay for the next pay-per-view. 
and the next one and stay till WrestleMania. And see, they want people to not only have their eyes on the network right now while it's free, but want to stay on board uh, as the months go on. And so I think there's a good chance that WWE might have leaked that on purpose. I don't know for sure. I have no inside information whatsoever, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, But so there were people talking about this all over the internet, as the kids call it these days. So, so, but I, I said, you know, I don't know, because I've heard since they signed Sting to this merchandise deal, I had heard that Sting was going to make his debut with WWE, and, and to me, it felt just like when every, every when there's actually a WWE champion defending his title on a pay per view, every pay per view, there's a group of people online that say, I know that the money in the bank is going to get cashed in at the end of this pay per view every single time that there's a title defense. Um, which Seth Rollins touched on a little bit last week here on the show. Um, but Sting coming out to save Dolph Ziggler, and, and, and I don't know so much to save Dolph Ziggler, but to stop Triple H. I think he, he didn't come out for Dolph. He came out for Triple H, and to stop him, I thought it was fantastic. It was really well done. I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. I was expecting Randy Orton, as I said, to come out. Um, they were in St. Louis, Randy Orton's hometown, but... Sting came out, which is significantly bigger than Randy Orton. Sting comes out. He makes his debut. Okay, I thought the entrance was good. Um, I liked him just kind of standing there for a moment, and they let they let the entranceway look very big, and Sting standing there by himself. It harkened back to the days in WCW when he was the Crow, and he was a man by himself. I thought that was really well done. He came to the ring. I would have liked, I mean, I just as a, Traditionalist. I always the only the other thing that WCW did right with Sting, Sting's music might be aside from the NWO the only original WCW music that was actually good. I loved Sting's Crow music, and they used it. The orchestra was playing it on the 2K15 video commercial. The music that the Crow Sting used in WCW, I think, is the best music WCW ever did. So I was a little bummed out that they weren't using that. Who knows why they weren't? I don't. It didn't. You know, I wasn't too wrapped up in it. It was just entrance music. But um, Sting still came down. He had a great stare down with Triple H. Some people think the stare down was a little long. I do not. Um, And that's evident in the fact that people were chanting loudly. The whole building was loudly chanting, this is awesome. While Triple H and Sting stared each other down. And I didn't even realize once that happened that it would make me feel anything. Um... I just my voice cracked like I was about to cry over Sting making his <laughs> WWE debut. Look, if I cried over anything in wrestling and I and it was that, I don't think anybody could blame a wrestling fan couldn't blame me. But I'm not going to cry. I'll talk about how I felt about about Sting being in a ring in a couple minutes. First, um I thought the the stare down was great. Everybody's chanting this is awesome, this is awesome. Sting, 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 Sting. Um and you didn't know you didn't know exactly where it was going, and anybody that says they did is wrong. It's full of it. I mean, I don't think you really thought that Sting was going to be a heel. I don't think anybody thought that Sting was going to take Triple H's side. But maybe he was just going to go in and stare him down. Maybe he was just going to go in and maybe he had a baseball bat in his sleeve. He was going to point to him like he did to Hulk Hogan. I don't know. You never know what he was going to do. But the fact that he put his hands on Triple H, the fact that he dropped Triple H... With a scorpion death drop. It was huge. I think that's one of those things that people would fantasize about but not really expect to happen. 
for Sting in his debut to drop Triple H with his finishing move. And that Scorpion Death Drop, he dropped it on many a foe in WCW. That move never done by Sting in a WWE ring. It's the first Scorpion Death Drop in a WWE ring, and we got to witness it. Um, I thought it was incredible. I thought it was really well done. I thought it got people talking. I thought it was exactly what WWE needed to do, and they pulled it off. And it led to a Dolph Ziggler victory, which I thought was good. You know, I didn't. I thought John Cena coming out and congratulating Dolph Ziggler was the right thing to do because some people think that it, it stole some of Dolph Ziggler's glory, but I don't. You know, it's not like Dolph Ziggler did this thing on his own. Sting came out and helped him, um, and. Regardless, John Cena is the team captain and the top guy in the company. If anything, he came out, he hugged Dolph Ziggler, and he gave Dolph his approval. You know, I, I, I just don't think that it took anything away from Dolph at this point. John Cena is, is, is that big that it did, not, it did not take away from Dolph's moment. Um, here is how I feel about Sting, though, being in the WWE ring. Uh, it, it brings us to Raw the night after Survivor Series, right? Triple H and Stephanie come out, and they start talking about what Sting did. I think the moment that everything kind of hit me was when Michael Cole was yelling about Sting debuting in the WWE last night. And he was saying that on Raw on Monday. I sat there, and I said, I didn't realize. I mean, I've talked to the guy. You just heard the audio. I've talked to Sting before. You know, I, I, I've played with him in the video game. I've, I've, I, I've known of him. I've watched him on the network. I've, you know, you know, everything. And I never realized how jarring it would be to hear Sting get referenced in terms of storyline on WWE TV. It was beyond jarring. I didn't, I didn't get jarred by his appearance at the pay-per-view. I didn't get jarred by his appearance at Survivor Series because it was like a moment. It's like, whoa, what is going on here? But when Michael Cole and Triple H and everybody was talking about him and they were talking about him in storyline concept, there was a part of me that said, no, 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 we don't talk about him. He's the competition. I went right back to that, that kid who was a WWE loyalist during the Monday Night Wars. And this was not during the Attitude Era, okay? I was a WWE loyalist when uh, Savio Vega and the Ringmaster were fighting in strap matches. I was a WWE loyalist when Phineas Godwin and Sonny weren't getting along, okay? I was a WWE loyalist when The Goon and Alex the Pug Porto made their debuts. And Mantar was the most feared superstar on the roster. I was still a WWE loyalist. And, you know, I'm going to tell as big of a deal as it is that Sting is in the WWE, maybe, and maybe this is why I would have been okay if he just went to the Hall of Fame without ever wrestling a match. I never cared if Sting was in WWE. I just never did. I, I, I was such a WWE baby, raised so hard on the WWE product, and I'm sure you've noticed that listening to the podcast, that Sting, as much as I recognized that he was an icon, as much as I, I, I recognized how important he is in wrestling and how good he is and, 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 and how powerful he is in terms of drawing people in, he never really meant much to me. Because I watched WWE. I watched WCW because it was on. But I never watched WCW as a, I'm a fan of this the way I watched WWE. I just didn't. 
I was an NWO fan, I guess, but who wasn't? You know, that was a cool kid when you, thing when you were a kid. But WWE was the wrestling that I said, this is wrestling, and sometimes I watch WCW. But I like wrestling, and wrestling is WWE. And it's definitely shaped the way I look at, at sports entertainment and wrestling today. But that's the way I've always felt about Sting. And so, and so it was a little jarring to hear Sting be referred to you know, as an active participant in the WWE universe because he existed outside that universe for so long. But I think it's great. I think it's, uh, I think it's really interesting. I don't think there will ever be anyone like that again. I think that's why this is so important because there will never again be anyone like Sting. Somebody who is such a major influence and impact player in wrestling that exists outside of the WWE universe. That's over now. Now. As of this week. As of Survivor Series. As of last Sunday. The era in which that was at all possible ended. That moment. As soon as the lights went out. And that music hit. As soon as his face hit the Titantron. The era in which. Anybody. Could make that big of an impact. On the world of pro wrestling and exists outside the WWE universe, ended. He was the last one, and I—I I mean, I personally don't think there will ever be another. You know, there will always be stars and talented people that exist outside the WWE world, but in terms of of making being icons and being household names in wrestling and not being a part of the WWE universe, it'll never happen again. Sting is the last one. He's the last big signee. And WWE got it done. And I guess hats off to Triple H. I don't know if Triple H is the one that brokered the deal or Vince McMahon is. I don't know. But, you know, under Triple H's regime, you know, we've had uh, Macho Man's name start popping up again. Bruno San Martino come back. I mean, it's been huge. It's been great. Um, so I think it's amazing that Sting is in WWE, and uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I couldn't be happier about it. I'm glad that I got some time to talk about it today. Now, um, I think it's time, Howard Finkel, that we get to the state of wrestling. Enough of this Sting stuff. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right, state of wrestling time. So, oh, and real quick, before we completely move on from Sting, thanks to everybody who retweeted my Sting tweet on Sunday. My God, posted a picture of Sting answering the WCW hotline. Over a thousand retweets on it. So thanks, everybody. Listen, I thought Raw was pretty good this week, actually. Um, I had fun watching it. I thought Daniel Bryan was a good general manager for one week. I don't want to see Daniel Bryan as the new full-time general manager. It just It's too happy. He's a happy guy. It seems too happy uh, for Raw. But I thought he was a good one-week general manager. Um, love the fallout between Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose uh, from Survivor Series. The Harper-Ambrose match was great. And the finish, I thought that was good. And, 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 and Bray Wyatt popping out from under the ring and everything. I loved that. Um... Mizdow, Damian Mizdow holding his two little replica tag title belts was making me laugh. Uh, I, Big Show, 
I came out ready to not like what the big show was doing. I came when I saw the big show come out, I was ready to be bored, quite frankly. And I thought because like I said, I was watching Survivor series and I was like, I don't know if I really want to see a John Cena Big Show match if that's where this is going. But Big Show it was one of my favorite promos he's ever done. Asking the WWE universe if he could have a mulligan because he messed up at Survivor Series. He just, how a guy who's seven foot four can come off as just a little weasel is amazing. Amazing. Great job by the Big Show. And it actually made Eric Rowan, uh, I, I think it, I'm interested in where Big Show Eric Rowan is going. Um, I don't exactly know what. Is going on with Jack Swagger and Rusev. I don't know if uh, we just if Rusev has gone through the cycle of people to defend America and now has to re go through that same cycle. I feel like we're stuck in a bad like career mode loop on 2K15 or something because I'm already quite positive that Rusev does not have a problem taking out Jack Swagger. But I mean, I mean, I don't know if that's where we're going. I guess that's where we're going. Um, the one thing I could I could do without Larry the Cable Guy. Here was my problem. And, and the, the other thing I like before I, you know, because I like things. And I think it's important that we highlight things that we like. Um, the, uh, the Adam Rose Bunny thing. The only reason why I like that story is because of where it could go. I love the idea of Adam Rose as like a heel who's like strung out. He's partied way too hard. He's like Axl Rose. He's like isolated all of his relationships. His friends don't like him anymore because he's out of control. And like he's just pushing people out of his life. Oh, you're judging me again. Oh, you think you're so special. You're a rabbit. You're a rabbit. Just in a dark, dark place. I love the idea of Adam Rose just being in a dark, dark place. Um... Larry the Cable Guy, I did not think was a great guest host. I don't mind the guest host. I didn't mind Grumpy Cat. I mean, it was quick. It was easy. It was nothing. I thought the problem with Larry the Cable Guy was guest hosts can be great and they can be not great. I thought Larry the Cable Guy was not great because when I saw Larry the Cable Guy, especially the skit in the very beginning where he had the mask on, um, but even when he was doing commentary and stuff, it just felt like he didn't take – WWE seriously. He didn't take the product seriously, and it almost felt like he was making fun of the fans in what he was doing. Like, it just didn't... It seemed like he thought the whole thing was a joke. And if the whole thing is a joke, then what are we watching? So that that was my only gripe. I did not think Larry the Cable Guy was great, but beyond that, um, I thought they did a decent job, and, and the Vince McMahon cameo was cool, too. Here's what I want to talk about today. State of Wrestling, TNA is getting TV again. I'm happy. TNA is uh, – I, I honestly, I thought Impact was done. I thought TNA – I did not think they would get another TV deal, and I thought it would be a matter of time before they closed their doors. Um, TNA has signed a new TV deal. They're going to be on a channel called Destination America. A lot of people have it. It's not a small ch- – I mean it's a small it's – not, it's, not, it's not NBC. It's not Spike TV, but it's a, it's a fairly uh, well-distributed channel. I have Destination America on my cable. Um, so uh, I, I'm really happy about it because I, TNA should succeed. It can succeed. Uh, there's great talent in TNA. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and there's people who work hard. Anytime I talk to people who wrestle for TNA, you know, I did a great roundtable discussion. It's on YouTube with MVP, Loki, Samoa Joe, and Homicide. And just looking at any organiz- any wrestling organization that has those four guys in it, 
right there should be fine. Um, and all four of them, and everybody else that I've talked to at TNA felt the same way. I brought up the TV. I brought up the fact that, you know, the rumors about the company closing all the time. And they all are of the opinion that they're not worried about TNA going anywhere, and they're going out and delivering good matches. And I was at the last two sets of TV tapings in New York a couple months back at the Manhattan Center, and they were great live shows. I went to, like, probably four or five out of the six total live shows, and they were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed them. I thought they were great live shows. Um, and I thought they made for interesting TV. I mean, I you know, I thought the relying on the ECW storyline was not uh, the greatest thing only because it's not new. I think TNA needs to be new and fresh and different and compelling. And, I mean, I, I, that's why I want TNA to be so successful because nothing creates compelling programming like necessity. If you have to, if you have no choice but to create compelling programming, you will. That's That was apparent in the Monday Night War. If competition is so great that you have to give something to people that they will not turn away from, you will give it to them. When you're dealing with, with people that are that creative, that talented, you can get there if you have to get there. And sometimes that's what it takes. And that's what I'm hoping. I mean, there are great things going on. TNA going to Destination America is great. Ring of Honor, I love going to Ring of Honor shows. I don't know how well the product translates to TV because it's not as storyline-driven as wrestling on TV is used to. And I think the one drawback for Ring of Honor is the minute anybody gets really, really, really over-the-top great, WWE has the power to scoop them up. I think that's the one drawback. But Ring of Honor has been doing better. Uh, they've been you know, signing people to contracts. They've been able to get around that a little bit. But anytime anybody really reaches their peak in Ring of Honor – uh, before they can tap that well dry, WWE will scoop them up. Uh, that's the one thing Ring of Honor has working against them. But, uh, I mean, the live shows Ring of Honor put on are, are some of the best I've ever seen. Uh, I have not gotten a chance to see Lucha Underground yet, but everybody's talking about Lucha Underground like it is the alternative. Not like it's WWE 2, but like it's totally different. That's Like Lucha Underground is what's fresh, what's different. It just feels cool. Um, so at some point I'd like to check that out, but I don't get El Rey Network. I don't know where else to see it. I don't have El Rey Network on my TV. And then there are lots of uh, indie groups doing great shows. Pro Wrestling Syndicate just consistently doing awesome shows out in Jersey every month. But I really hope that uh, this works for TNA. They've got another set of TV tapings lined up for January. I think the very beginning of January, like the 7th of January, they're going to be back in the Manhattan Center. It's an expensive room to rent out. Um, I think... TNA's got the talent. There's no doubt about it. Now they've got, you know, they've got TV back. Hopefully they've locked them up for a couple of years at least. They just need to deliver something that is unmissable, that is something that people talk about after the show is done, that you're texting your friends going, yeah, but you got to see this because that's what carried WWE and WCW to the heights of success is moments where you were texting your friend going, you got to see this. Now, are those moments happening in WWE? Now, they're fleeting. Here and there they are. Uh, I think WWE is doing okay with moments. I think they need to do a little better with uh, consistency, with really taking advantage of that moment and, and getting the most out of it. I think a lot of, a lot of time, steam gets sucked out of things. 
uh, wrong turns get made, weird decisions get made, and that's because there. I, I think it's because you're allowed to kind of mess around and do whatever you want when there's no real direct competition. When there's you don't have to be the very best you can possibly be, unless there's somebody nipping at you. And that's when I think everybody performs at their best, no matter what they're doing, is when somebody is nipping at your heels. And I hope – I don't know if they are. I don't, know, I don't know what the organization is like in TNA. I would hope that the fact that they ran out of time, like, like if, if they did not sign a TV deal within weeks, they would have had no TV at all. Like they were almost done. And if they don't have TV in the United States, it's going to be tough to see them staying in business. I hope that that scares them enough – that they have to put out compelling TV. And once they do, I hope that drives WWE to be even better. Because the more good wrestling that's on TV, the better for us wrestling fans. We'll see. We'll see what happens in TNA. Look, I appreciate you rolling with me. Next week, we'll get back to uh, the traditional format that you may be used to here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast with the interview and then the state of wrestling. But I thought the Sting story was so big in the world of wrestling that... uh, it deserved a bit of dedicated time here on the podcast. Let me get to a couple of quick questions real quick. A bunch of you that tweeted me, I will send out uh, signed Hulk Hogan autographed cards from WWE 2K15. I'm going to answer two questions real quick because we're running low on my self-imposed time limit. Uh, Kai Moreland on Twitter, at Kai Moreland, writes, Do you think WCW would still be around if they aired on Tuesday nights? I don't think so. That goes right back to what I was talking about. I don't I don't think WCW would have lasted as long as they did if they were around on Tuesday nights. And I don't even know how well WWE would have done. It's one thing to say, okay, well, I want to make sure my ratings on Tuesday are better than they were on Monday. Or, okay, let's beat WCW ratings from last week or whatever it is. It's another thing to be going head-to-head. And have a direct comparison. It's like you're only allowed to watch one of these shows. Which one's it going to be? It's going to be the better one. So let's make sure we're the better one. It's that psychology that brought both those companies to the peak creatively, financially, everything that they've ever been at there in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's that thinking. And also I think we as a country were in a much more creative place in that time. All entertainment – was much more creative. Now that's not a that's not a cop out because people are still making compelling television now. And as long as there is compelling television on TV, there's no reason to think that pro wrestling can't be compelling television. However, WCW would not still be around if it had aired on Tuesday nights, and I think it would have not lasted as long as it did had it aired on Tuesday nights because uh had had WCW and WWE not been head-to-head, they wouldn't have brought out the best in each other. Uh, the last question, why comics on Twitter? Uh, pay-per-views without the champ seem to have forced better booking with more talent elevated. Do you agree, Sam? I agree. Here, well, I agree to an extent. Here's my opinion on that, and I think we're saying kind of the same thing. I think, and this is part of the reason why I'm not mad about the fact that Brock Lesnar has not been defending the WWE Championship on pay-per-view in the last two months. I think the last two pay-per-views, Hell in a Cell and Survivor Series, have not been lacking a championship match. I don't think after Hell in a Cell or after Survivor Series on Sunday, anybody was sitting there thinking, ah, you know, it was good, but it was missing like a main event. It just didn't feel that important because the champion wasn't there. 
And that's because they've made the matches count. I mean, they went out of their way to make sure that main event at Survivor Series meant something. At Hell in a Cell, John Cena and Randy Orton busted ass to make sure that they put on a fantastic match. And the, and the same thing goes for Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Plus, they made the finish valuable by bringing Bray Wyatt out. I, I think they've been doing a great job of booking these pay-per-views despite not having a champion. And I think it's made it so we don't need to see the champion at every pay-per-view. Um, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Listen, thanks a lot. If you have any questions, if, you, if there's anything you want me to tackle here on the State of Wrestling, uh, tweet me at NotSam anytime. You can get me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NotSam. Please tell as many friends as you possibly can about Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast and leave a positive review on iTunes. Give me them five stars, okay? Because it means something. I appreciate the time. I will see you next week. Another big guest, I promise you. Well, technically Sting was our guest this week, right? Next week, a brand new guest to the podcast. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.